Good evening and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. My co-host April Dawson is not with us this evening and our prayers and thoughts go out to her and, uh, and her family. But the Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law and the Virtual Justice Project. So we thank you for joining with us uh, this evening. Among the many treasures that African Americans enjoy in this country, and certainly in North Carolina, is the large number of African American newspapers. Although these news organizations have been underutilized in recent years, historically, their presence was the primary source of local and national news for African-American communities and about happenings in those communities. Among the first African-American newspaper was the Freedom Journal, which was published in New York in 1827, but was widely circulated throughout the country. We know that Frederick Douglass, after his escape from enslavement, founded the North Star newspaper in 1847 and later the Frederick Douglass Papers in 1851 and then the New National Era in 1871. These papers were initially devoted to the abolition of slavery and later to the reconstruction history and activities as told and reported from the African-American perspective. In North Carolina, one of the first daily African-American newspapers in the United States was the Wilmington Daily Record, which was published by Alex Manley and was in existence until the Wilmington race riots in 1898, when the newspaper was burned to the ground by a white mob during the overthrow of that city's government. The press presence in Wilmington resumed in 1927, when Robert Gervais organized the Daily Record, uh, and later his son, uh, Thomas Gervais, uh, organized the Cape Fear Record, which was renamed the Wilmington Journal in 1940. In 1890, the African American Press Association, an organization of African American newspapers in the U.S., was formed. That organization has now become the National Newspaper Publishers Association. During Reconstruction and during the Jim Crow era, African-American newspapers were the primary source of information about our community and were generally circulated outside of the area from which they were published. Along with several newspapers in North Carolina, which were published and are still in existence, there were the Norfolk Journal and Guide, the New York Amsterdam News, the Chicago Defender, the Baltimore African American, the Atlanta Voice, and the Cleveland Call and Post. There was also Jet Magazine, which was published in Chicago and had a national circulation. Over the years, the African American newspaper have been under attack by hostile whites which placed the reporters in great danger in the gathering and reporting of the news. In addition, it was dangerous for anyone to even circulate these newspapers, particularly in the South. 
Nevertheless, these newspapers have continued to exist. Today, there are more than 200 African-American newspapers across the United States, and nine are located here in North Carolina. The circulation of these papers have declined significantly over the past two decades, but they are still in existence. Tonight, we are going to discuss the history, impact, challenges, and future of the African-American press. Joining us for this discussion are Cash Michaels, a journalist for several newspapers in North Carolina, and Professor Brett Chambers, who teaches in the Department of Mass Communications at North Carolina Central University. So, gentlemen, thank you for uh, joining uh, with us this evening. Always good. It's an honor to be here. Okay, good. Now, let let me just just start us out uh, in this conversation by allowing each of you to talk a little bit about your uh, your history, your background with the uh, with the African American uh, press, and how long you've been connected uh, with the uh, with the media. So we'll start with uh, Brother Cat. Oh, the old man. Okay, because no, <laughs> you walked the farthest. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, um, Attorney Joyner and, and and my brother Brett Chambers. I mean, it's always good to be in your presence and and. Uh, uh, the listeners this evening have no idea how um, how blessed they are to uh, uh, to have uh, these two gentlemen um, here on the program to talk about this uh, this issue that's very dear, close and dear to my heart. Because Lord knows I've been uh, uh, raising cane per the black press, uh, I guess, for about the past twenty years, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> at least, uh, at least. Um, but I am Cash Michaels, and um, I write for. Uh, six African-American newspapers across the state. Uh, I had uh, one writer refer to me as the Black Associated Press. Essentially what happens is I I try to determine every week at, at least uh, two uh, statewide worthy stories and then farm them out to, um, to these six papers um, for them to print because um, uh, black newspapers, by their very nature, are community newspapers. They are to reflect what is what is happening in and around their community. The problem, though, is that uh, it's not really a problem. This is a reality: is that the the word community has now grown uh, substantially. Um, the fact that we have these things in our pockets called smartphones, the fact that we uh, uh, are able to do business on a global level by virtue of our, our computers. Uh, um, the fact that we are forced to think beyond our area of dominant influence uh, by virtue of the economics, if not the politics, means that even though our um, uh, immediate news, news of our immediate area, is still very important to, to us and, and should always remain such, um, the outside world has a lot to do with the quality of living in our respective communities, and we, we can't ignore that. And so uh, clearly, uh, uh, in my point of view at least, and, and in the view of the publishers and newspapers that I work with every uh, every week, what happens in Raleigh by virtue of the General Assembly, uh, what laws they're, they're discussing, i.e. voter ID, i.e. whatever particular social programs and what have you, they're looking to, uh, to cut or whatever else that will impact the quality of life for our people in our respective communities across the state is something that I pay attention to. Um, and then if there is a, um, a national story 
of, um, of import that, that people in our communities across the state are, are discussing at length. Um, I try to pay attention um, uh, to that. You know, a good example, as, as we speak, the whole issue of, of impeachment is, uh, uh, is being bandied about in, in the news, coverage and the like. Um, I won't touch that unless there's some import to our community. In other words, if there's something about the, the issue or the event that, um, uh, that I feel as a journalist we should be paying attention to, that would um, uh, better ourselves or, or, or help us get some idea, particularly this being a, an election year, a very important election year, 2020, um, you know, only then will I, I pay attention, specific attention to what's happening as far as the whole impe impeachment issue. Otherwise, I'll leave it to the, um, the National Black Press Association, um, um, NNPA, uh, or just just the general general media, unless there is a, a particular reason why a black perspective is needed for something. Um, but I'm I'm very honored, and I'm uh, I feel very good about the fact that um, for I guess at least the last 20 years, if I'm not mistaken, um, I've been reporting uh, to my community um, about my community and for my community. Um, and the reason why, quite frankly, is because our our people need it. Uh, we need uh, information. They, we need honest information and honest perspective um, to be able to act on the issues that impact the quality of our lives. Uh, we have issues right here in the Bull City in Durham, you know, McDougal Terrace obviously being a primary one, but there are other issues as well um, where, uh, you know, we need a, a vibrant black press um, to, to push the powers that be, to push leadership. Um, to, to help the people that, that are now being held at the mercy of, of, of government uh, for what they've been going through. And, and the fact that um, as a black journalist um, being headquartered in Raleigh, and the fact that Raleigh went through pretty much the same thing that Durham is going through now, I can bring that experience uh, to, to the table when, when reporting on, on, on this. Uh, we had a, a young mother and, and her son to die in Raleigh because she was afraid of someone climbing through her window in a public housing uh, uh, complex, and thus she kept the windows closed uh, in August. But little did she know there was carbon monoxide building up in her home, and so because she was not getting fresh air every day, she and her young child uh, uh, died as a result, it, it, it asphyxiated. Um, so you know, th there's so many things that, that, that come to the table, and but the bottom line is that the black press is very important. Our perspective on, on the day's events that affect all of us is very important. And um, the one thing that the black press needs, I, I see the black press as the second most important in institution in our community, the black church being, uh, being the first, uh, 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 historically black colleges and universities and the like, uh, being up there, you know, the third, if, if not second or whatever. But, but I feel that as a community, we need black newspapers, we need black news, um, and we need your support. So this way then um, you can get the kind of information that you deserve to act on um, and, to, um, and to appreciate. And so um, very glad to be part of the black press. And also very proud of people like Brett Chambers, who uh, is a veteran of, uh, um, of the press, uh, uh, teaching young minds now. and. Uh, who tries to produce more Cash Michaels uh, in, in his classroom uh, um, every day. And so I'm, I'm anxious to hear what he has to say. Okay. 
Chamber. I was sitting over here taking notes. That's what I do. I take notes. <laughs> Mr. Cash Michael. Um, my journey through the, and not just to, to the black press, but in the black press is different. Um, in that, I, at one time, didn't realize I was going to be in the black pre- in the press at all. I didn't realize I was going to be a journalist. I was going to be a doctor. Um, Doctor or a musician. Those were the two things I wanted to be. I either wanted to be a musician or a, or, or a doctor. And when I, I came to college here, um, at the other school on the other side of town, and uh, over a period of time, I started realizing I was documenting things all the time, whether it was recording, whether it was um, taking pictures, but I was always documenting something. And... I started realizing that uh, that was really important because a lot of the stories that I read coming up as a child weren't told by anybody that was part of my community. And I didn't realize how important that desire, that curiosity to document and hold on to things, not not just being a like you know a hoarder, but <laughs> but actually documenting. Um, the goings on and over a period of time some of those things I documented wind up becoming important for different reasons Um, whether it was uh, some of it was like music related so some of the experiences (coughs) and some of the documentation I did when I was an undergrad um, eventually became part of certain archives in certain places so I started understanding you know this is really important that someone tells the stories that are not being told. And I started finding out about these people like Gordon Parks, but the Gordon Parks, um, the photographer for life, not the Gordon Parks that did the movies. Mm. I started, um, I knew I always watched like Max Robinson on World News Tonight. And when I finally met Mr. Robinson, I was just in awe because he was just such a thoughtful person uh, Carol Simpson, I just thought that she was just incredible when I first met her. Some of the folks from the Washington Post. And that led me to join the National Association of Black Journalists after I graduated from college. And a few years later, and I was working at uh, REL, uh, then I started working at WTVD. And also met some of the founders of um, NABJ, like Chuck Stone and Gloria Marshall. Mm-hmm. and those folks, and they became mentors because if you ever met any of the folks from NABJ and you showed some some interest in it, they were going to help you by pushing you along. They didn't believe in pulling you along much. They just like, yo, no, you're going to go do this because we need more. And I had a lot of help because the examples I had from a media standpoint, I started running into people who looked like me so there's a lot of representation all over the place in this market because there was the Carolina Times. There was a Carolinian. So I knew about the Carolina Times from when I was a kid. My mother grew up in Walltown. I grew up in Washington, in southeast Washington, D.C. So we had a couple of different <coughs> black newspapers in D.C., but also had black people on TV to watch, like Max Robinson, Carol Simpson, those folks, um, Jim Vance. So... When I was down here, they weren't on TV, but I started running into people like Paul Pope, Clarence Williams, who was a director, Chuck May, who was also a director, um, uh, Irvin Hester, who was the first regularly scheduled black anchor in the Southeast. 
and I started running into these people and getting to know these people, and they brought me along and said, this is what you're going to do, and this is how you have to do it. And they gave me the exposure to make sure that I could get this, understand the responsibility on how to do it, because I'm, I'm meeting a Cash Michael, Cash Michael's in the, on the press side, and I'm on the broadcast side. And there's Kathy Stowe, whose husband was on the radio side, Alvin Stowe. Mm-hmm. And there was Miriam Thomas, who was an anchor. And so we, w- we would all like work together because we understood the responsibility that we had to tell the story or tell the stories, but bring our perspective to the stories. Because when you're talking about healthcare, make sure that you do stories that include people from underrepresented populations. So um, to give you an idea, a real quick story, one of my favorite ones, and it was about finance. It was, I'm going to date myself, 1987 <laughs> financial crisis. And I was producing a show called Reflections. And I'm, at this time, I'm a senior producer. And Jan Miller, who's also African-American uh, from the Philadelphia area, and we were talking about the show. And I said, you know, we got to do something on this financial crisis. He said, let's do it. So I put together a great, uh, what I thought was a good panel. We had um, Maceo Sloan. Maceo Sloan, another gentleman who was a financial planner, the lieutenant governor. And we were doing the show, and it was a really good show, really good show. And one of the um, news managers said, why are you doing a a show on financial matters on the stock market? Your show is a black show. And I paused because I was like, I'm I'm not sure if I understand what your question. And he repeated it, and I said, why don't you just watch the show and you let me know? He came back later the following week and said, I get it now. The thing is, he was white, but there were some black people that wondered the same thing. Why was I doing a show on the stock market crash? And what turned out was Maceo wound up having a talk with the lieutenant governor on the air. He um, (laughs) informed the lieutenant governor, if you want more information, come contact me during office hours so I can you know, invoice you for that information because you have a pension fund where X percentage of your population that are contributing to this pension fund are African-American and brown people, and they need representation too. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, summed up the whole thing. That sometimes we try to separate things out when we are a part of, and the, 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 the fight has always been, how do we get included, not excluded? Okay, this is the uh, Legal Eagle Review, and we're talking with uh, Brett Chambers, who is a professor in the uh, Department of Mass Communications at North Carolina Central University, and uh, Cash Michaels, who is a uh, journalist, uh, reporting for six separate uh, newspapers here in the uh, state. And we're talking about the, uh, the black press, the black press uh, experience. We're going to take our break. Right now, I want you to, uh, to stay with us as we come back and continue uh, this discussion. But we'll be right back. Good evening. My name is Nastasia Harris, a second-year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and these are your weekly announcements. Please join us at NCCU School of Law for a screening and panel discussion on when they see us, 
which chronicles the harrowing story of the Central Park Five in the late 1980s. The series provides a provocative and emotional view into the legal system. Panelists will include law enforcement, advocates, professors, and lawyers. This event is free and open to the public. Refreshments will be provided. The first showing is on February the 5th from 6 to 8.30 p.m. The screening and panel discussions is sponsored by the Charles Hamilton Houston Foundation Incorporated, Virtual Justice Project, NCCU Law Innocence Project, Black Law Student Association, Hispanic Law Students Association, Restorative Justice Organization, and the Civil Rights and Constitutional Law Society. To register, more information is at 919-937-2115. The Haiti Heritage Cultural Center through St. Joseph's Historic Foundation is proud to present the 26th Annual Haiti Heritage Film Festival. The annual event, one of the nation's longest-running black film festivals, runs from February the 13th through the 15th. All films will be shown at the Haiti Heritage Center, located at 804 Old Fayetteville Road in Durham, North Carolina. All access festival passes are currently on sale, along with single-day passes and individual tickets. More information is at haiti.org. My name is Nastasia Harris, and this has been your weekly announcements. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Legal Review. Thank you so very much for staying with us. We're talking with uh, Cash Michaels, who is a journalist uh, here in uh, North Carolina that uh, does work for a number of different uh, African-American newspapers here in the uh, state, and Professor Brett Chambers, who is with the uh, Department of uh, Mass Communications at uh, NCCU. And we're talking about the, uh, the black press, uh, its uh, history, uh, its uh, impact, its uh, purpose, uh, and eventually uh, its uh, future uh, as we look at this. So let me uh, just uh, continue this uh, dialogue by asking both of you, if, if would you kind of <coughs> define what constitutes the black press and then how does that black press differ from the so-called mainline uh, press or main street uh, press uh, that uh, most people are very familiar with? Well, as, as I indicated before, uh, black newspapers historically and uh, to a certain extent still are, are community, community newspapers. Uh, many of them uh, were, and some still are, mom and pop operations. So that automatically makes them, you know, community uh, oriented. Um, people who had a pension for um, wanting to uh, fill that gap that the general market white-owned newspaper. Um, simply was ignoring. Uh, for instance, um, you know, many of us are familiar with um, either be the Durham paper here or, or the Raleigh newspaper, which are owned by the same company, McClatchy. And uh, how if you're uh, white and you're um, um, an excelling student or you are 
a, a great athlete or you're a, 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 a good businessman or, you know, something, you always find uh, uh, kudos and plaudits in, in, in the general market paper. If you're black, um, unless you have made a name in the white community, uh, working in partnership or whatever else, uh, rarely do we hear about the people in our community who have excelled, great attorneys, et cetera, et cetera. Usually, if you're black and in the white newspaper, historically, it's because you've been a troublemaker. Um, uh, crime used to be the one place we could guarantee seeing news about our community in the major newspaper. Meanwhile, we had um, great students. We had great business people. We, we, we had things happening that white newspapers were ignoring. So therefore, that kind of, of omission historically gave birth to the black newspaper. And what was needed in the community was simply someone or someones who said, I'm going to fill that gap. And that's, that's why black newspapers flourished for a while. Um, like anything else in life, you know, they, they had to go through various stages because people gravi gravitated to what they were used to. So um, uh, for a lot of black newspapers, they were able to become successful, for instance, if they put a lot of crime uh, on the front page of their paper because people would buy the paper just to see who they knew who were either victims of crime or were perpetrators thereof. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't have a whole lot of television stuff and what have you at the time, so therefore that's what happened. And then slowly but surely, as black newspapers, like anything else, matured, we, we became more focused on issues. And, and uh, uh, for instance, the Carolinian, who I used to work for in, uh, in Raleigh, a lot of times when they, would, uh, when they were printing their own paper, um, they were still black and white. And so the only thing color on the front page of the paper was red ink for, for, the, uh, for the headlines of, you know, um, uh, dog bites man, man bites dog back or something like right. that. You know, right. it, would, it, would be, it would be crazy headlines like that that people would, 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 would get. Now, you wouldn't find that today. But back in the back in the day, that's what pretty much sold papers. You know, you had the issues and what was happening to the civil rights movement and so forth on there too and in there too. But they were interested in selling papers, and as a result, they were uh, they had a lot of advertising because white advertisers and generally speaking, that's who catered to black newspapers, the big supermarkets and any, any place else that people were allowed to to shop in. They wanted to make sure that they, they got people, got their share of the black market. So they would uh, advertise in these papers, and that's what kept many of them afloat. Now, as the years went on, and black newspapers got to be more uh, daring in what they were reporting as far as uh, injustices and what have you, then advertisers began to try to put pressure on black newspapers. I said, well, we really don't want you talking about that, or we don't want you riling up folk and so forth and so on. Meanwhile, black, black newspapers, caught up in the spirit of the civil rights movement, what have you, felt it was their mission to add clarity, to, to, um, uh, to inform their communities as to what the issues were. Um, you know, our job is not to lead. A lot of people may have the impression that our job is to lead. Our job is not to, to lead. Our job is to report so that 
there can be leaders. Um, if, if, if a black newspaper, in my opinion, if a black newspaper is, is leading, that does not necessarily mean that it's publisher and what have you cannot be a leader. Um, here in, um, uh, in Durham, for instance, Carolina Times, uh, Mr. Lewis Austin, he, he was a leader. He was a member of the NAACP and what right. have you. But he wasn't the leader. He was part of, of a cadre of leadership. Mm -hmm. And so that's different. But it, any, anytime your, your black newspaper becomes the leader, you have a problem. A big one. Um, because that means there's nobody else, mm -hmm. you know, who's doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so thus the paper isn't, isn't reporting, which is what it's supposed to do. That's its number one job. Um, the paper is, is the news, and it should, never, it should never really be that, even though sometimes you can't help it. Sometimes you have to mm. cause a little bit of trouble, muckrake, mm -hmm. as, 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 as the, um, uh, the popular saying goes. Sometimes you have to do that. Uh, but then you do so in hopes that there is leadership in the community that sees this, that doesn't like it, and says, I want to do something about it. In which case then, that's when you step back and say, oh, well, Reverend so-and-so says he read our paper last week, doesn't like it, and now uh, and he's head of the NAACP, and, and so he's now saying they want to take that over. That's the way it's supposed to work. Mm -hmm. um, anytime you have a situation where the newspaper is the leader and people just sit back and say, whoa, they, they pointed that out, so let's sit back and see what they do next, you're going to have a problem because then that means that people are waiting for you. Right. So, well, go ahead. I just wanted to add to that because one of the things that I, I, I when I'm talking to my students and sharing with my students, I, I want them to understand that there are different parts of press, different parts of journalism. Journalism is is one component of what the press is, because sometimes people forget the press is a business entity, and what what Cash was just was just pointing out is that it has to operate. If, you know, if nobody's reading your paper, you can have the best information, you can be the biggest advocate, but it's not reaching anyone. So you have to have that the paper, the whatever the content is, in the hands of the consumer. And when we were just before the show, we were talking about uh, the article, the radical. Uh, newspaper man the legacy of a radical newspaper man and in the end he like not to give away the the, the final part but he committed suicide um and didn't really run his paper right um as a business uh he was an advocate um and that's one of the, the challenges that sometimes some of not just the black newspapers but newspapers in general when they come out of an advocacy um and is is how how far do you go with your advocacy, if you if you can't stay afloat, you know how much how much how much advocacy can you do if you're not here? Mm -hmm. uh, not but, ju not yep. just you, but but your your entity, mm -hmm. you know. And then I look at people like Ida B. Wells; mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. they burn her newspaper also because when you get to a certain point, like she was very she was like the early early investigative reporter because she wanted to find out why were people being lynched. Not like, oh, what are you talking about? All these black men lynching white women. Hmm, that something sounds odd because if black men are getting lynched, I would think they would not want to go around raping white women. And she found out that was not the case, and they were making it up to to really intimidate black men, especially black men that had come to a certain point in along the way, and they were making some strides. 
and anyone who came up against the power elite, they decided they would take them out. And that has not changed. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that, 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 that highlights is the fact that you have to have an economic structure that allows for these things to continue. So I look at the Nation of Islam. Nation of Islam still has their newspaper. You know, that's how they made that. That's how that helps fund some of the Nation of Islam activities. <clears throat> when the Black Panthers were around, they had a newspaper. You know, it was a quarter, and they were they were making money with that newspaper because people wanted to find out what their advocacy was about. Um, so. I don't think that, you know, and whenever we talk, start talking about black press and, and advocacy newspapers and re- representation and agency and all that stuff, sometimes the economics part gets left out. Just like when they talk about Dr. Martin Luther King, they kind of forget about the whole economics program that he had, and, you know, that he was going for, that the Montgomery boycott was successful because it had an economic impact and that it wasn't like a, a not to diminish it, but it wasn't so much. You know, a bunch of white men walk, sat up one day and said, hmm, you know, um, we've been doing these black people wrong. Maybe mm-hmm. we should let them sit in the rest of the bus. No, their pocketbooks were being hurt by the fact that people weren't riding the bus. And they're like, you know, the cost of letting a Negro ride in the front of the bus or anywhere else on the bus is not costing me as much as it is when they're not riding at all. So let them sit there, and we'll deal with it later. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the... Uh the, the, the difference in perspectives uh, in the reporting between the African-American uh, uh, press and the mainline <coughs> press and then the, the content of the, uh, of the stories or the information uh, that you, you find. Because back in the day, uh, a lot of things that, that was occurring in different parts of the country affecting African Americans did not show up in the mainline press. Oh. And it was only in uh, the uh, the black press, and, and I give uh, kudos uh, at this point to uh, Jet uh, Magazine that became a kind of uh, a national reporting service for African Americans all over the country to uh, pull together information about what was going on and what was happening to them, similar to the Ida B. Wells uh, uh, scenario uh, that, uh, that, that, that you talked about. So can you kind of just add a little bit uh, about that dif- those differences in perspectives and differences in content and the impact of that on uh, uh, African-American communities and the larger community? Uh, I, 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 I'll keep mine brief because it's just, you know, the, when we're talking to uh, youth, we always say it's hard to be what you can't see. And if you don't see it whether and you don't feel it or you don't read it, then it's hard to understand a certain perspective. So when I flip that over, the majority papers, if they don't, if they don't identify with people other than themselves, it's hard for them to cover people other than themselves in a certain way. So when you bring on, you know, we, we fight for this at NABJ all the time. And, and it's the diversity and this other part called inclusion. Diversity is you get them in the door. Inclusion means you listen to them. And that's a big difference because there have been media outlets that have hired people of color and of different thought backgrounds, 
but they don't really listen to them. Fortunately, in this market, there's enough of a diverse media, or there, especially when you talk about back in the day, um, because Durham had a black newspaper, Raleigh had a black, you know, there were enough black newspapers to cause a certain level of diversity that even the white newspapers felt as though, especially when it got really competitive with different markets because of the fact that, you know, now all of a sudden people, yeah, I can go read the N&O and, or the Herald Sun or whatever it's called this week, um, but I want to read the, communi- the, the paper that reflects my viewpoint, my community. And that's not just a black community. That's, just, that's what I call aff- affinity, affinity um, uh, you know, um, uh, reading anyway. And that's how, they, you know, that's how we want people who think like us to be around us sometimes. And we, they, we want to read those kinds of things. But when we have choices, then we can make some, then we can go read different things. And that's one of the things that I, I find is, is really odd because I've seen some, I've read some things that I disagreed from my, my black press people. You know, I disagree with that. And some of the things I've done, they've disagreed with me and we've had discussions about it. The cool thing is by us discussing it and discussing our differences, we're able to flush things out. I mean, my brother Cash here and I, we, we, we can sometimes have some pretty passionate conversations. And, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but, but, and, and, but what happens is, I mean, there were times when I was at TVD and, and whether it was Cash or back when Milton Jordan was alive with the Carolina Times, and we could have a discussion about things that we saw and that helped inform a broader based and a better well and, and better read, I mean, a, a better written piece, but also a better uh, produced television show. So we had different perspectives there. You know, Irvin Hester doing real perspectives. And Irvin brought a different perspective than, say, some of the other news programming that was on the air. So we always made sure that we brought diverse perspectives and listened to the people who were involved. That's the other part. Sometimes you hear people talking about issues, but you never hear from the people that the issues impact. Mm -hmm. So when I did a, a show on black farmers, I didn't just go do the research. I went out and sat with black farmers and interviewed the black farmers. Um, when we did stuff on, um, on, on, on prison, we went into the prisons and sat down and talked with the inmates. Not just the black ones, but the white ones and the Hispanic ones. And we talked to the, to the warden and everyone else. Because everybody has a different perspective on the issue that can shed some light on some of the issues that we may not have spoken on before. Okay, this is the uh, Legal Eagle Review, and uh, we're talking with uh, Brett Chambers, who is a professor here at uh, NCCU in the uh, Department of uh, Mass Communications, and uh, Cash Michaels, uh, a journalist uh, who uh, writes for a number of uh, African-American papers here in the the state. We want to uh, take our break. Uh, right now, I want you to stay with us uh, when we come back and continue uh, this dialogue on the uh, African American press. We'll be right back. I'm Nastasia Harris, a second year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and this is your virtual justice spotlight. The media functions as a doorway for citizens to express themselves and gain exposure to a wide range of information and opinions. 
Journalists educate the public about events and issues and how they affect their lives. However, in today's society, journalists must go to new lengths to protect sources and ultimately the public's right to know. A journalist is essentially everyone connected with the publication or distribution of information via any news source. One of the key components to any legal trial proceeding is witness testimony. Generally, any person who is ordered to testify at a legal proceeding is required to comply. However, there are exceptions. Many states have passed statutes known as shield laws, allowing journalists to refuse to disclose or testify about confidential or unpublished information in various legal proceedings. Under North Carolina's shield law, a journalist has a qualified privilege against disclosure in any legal proceeding of any confidential or non-confidential information obtained or prepared while acting as a journalist. However, no privilege exists for information or documents that result from a journalist's eyewitness observations of criminal conduct, including any recordings of the observed conduct. More information is at www.rcfp.org. Virtual Justice at the NCCU School of Law is the intersection of technology and the legal clinical program. I'm Nastasha Harris. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Eagle Review. Thank you for uh, staying with us as we uh, continue our discussion with uh, Cash Michael and Brett Chambers about the uh, African American uh, uh, press. Uh, both of you have been very active uh, in uh, promoting uh, not only uh, news about our communities, uh, news about personalities in the communities, but also in uh, uh, training uh, people who will go out in to the world now to uh, report uh, on uh, what is going on within our communities. And Cash, you talked about the uh, uh, the differences that you uh, 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 experience in determining what news to report about. Can you kind of give us a filter on how those determinations are made with respect to the news media that you are reporting on behalf of? Well, you, you know, you're, you try to know your readership, you, and if you're in electronic media, you try to know your audience. Um, what is it that you do or that you report about that um, is needed light on, um, um, that, that people uh, have an expectation of, uh, and uh, what, again, gaps, filling in gaps, if, if you're doing the same thing that, that everybody else is doing, then, then don't be surprised if no one's buying your newspaper or no one's listening to your radio show or watching you on television because they can get what you do anywhere. So having a niche, have, having, having um, um, a specialty of sort where, you know, when people hear, you know, Cash Michaels, then they know, you know, to expect a certain kind of story. Uh, you know, something maybe dealing with, uh, uh, civil rights or human rights or justice, social justice or what have you. Um, and even more importantly, that they also um, are acquainted with your, your standard of reporting and um, expect that and uh, know they can trust it too. That, you know, we are in a business, <clears throat> excuse me, we're in a few businesses where we sign our name to your work. 
as as human beings, that's about the best guarantee we can give anybody that we have done the best job we possibly can with whatever it is that we're putting out. Um, short of that, then no one knows you've done it. So therefore, no one knows what to expect. But when you sign your name to your work, you're pretty much telling people, um, trust this. I'm, I'm, I've done the best job I can. If I've made an error, I certainly will, will be accountable. But to the best of my knowledge, I haven't. And this is the truth as best as I can find it. Now, you know, there, there's a lot of um, gab about uh, uh, being objective, uh, being impartial, et cetera, et cetera. I, I would contend that there really is no such thing. What, what, as a professional, you try to do is to tell it as best as you can see it and um, do it as honestly as possible. Represent um, both and or all sides of an issue. Um, and then keep in mind that at, at the end of the day, people need to make up their mind as to exactly what they will and will not believe. Mm-hmm. And you do the best job you can to do that. Now, if, if you have, uh, like, like for instance, I'll give you a good example. I don't mind telling people that I, I am not a fan of, of President Trump. It is this point blank fact. I ain't going to lie to you about it. I ain't going to try to hide behind nothing. I'm just not. If I have to write something that involves the president, though, I believe that I'm professional enough to be able to make sure that that um, uh, his version of events is, is fairly represented, um, and then uh, and, and the opinions of his supporters are fairly represented too. Um, knowing good and well, I can't stand either one of them, <laughs> you know. But what is my job, <laughs> you know? And if and if if my job is to make sure that there is fair representation of a valid point of view, then I do my job and I walk away from it yeah. mm-hmm. and, and let people decide what they want to believe. That, that to me is, the, you know, to me is actually much more powerful when people know exactly how you feel about something or somebody, but see that you've done a fair job anyway. Yeah. That, that, that to me is, is the definition of, of being a good journalist. Mm-hmm. Not this, uh, well, gee, I really can't let you know who I support in this election, you know, or anything like that. I'm not saying you should run around bragging about who no, you support. No, no. But, but at the same token, the fact you can do your job yeah. and people pretty much know where you lean, but they also can see in your work that, that you are doing your, 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 your job to be as, as representative as possible. Yeah. That, that to me is, is extremely important. And... It, 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 you know, as you also uh, lend your, your name to your work as your signature of, of uh, this is the best I could do, um, you also know that your credibility is really all you live on. You know, yeah. why, why have, you know, Cash Michaels in your newspaper if people aren't going to believe a thing he writes? You know, the moment they see his name and folks know, oh, forget it. You know, I, I, you know, there are people who don't like me, who have a good idea what my politics are, but will read me anyway, mm-hmm. knowing that at least I have the integrity to tell the truth as best as I see it. Now, again, they may not like it, right. but at least they know that I'm not pulling anybody's mm-hmm. leg in, 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 in what I've written. Well, that, that's all you can do as human yeah. beings. Integrity. Yeah, and integrity. It's all, yeah, yeah. As as, 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 as human that's beings, that's, you know, we, you know, I've, in 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 reporting about life, and reporting about human beings, and I just turned sixty four years of age recently. 
um, much older than you were, okay? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I've come to learn consistently that we are, are really limited creatures. We like to think of ourselves as being expansive and so forth. And so we're really very limited. We, 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 we function by very limited criteria. Mm -hmm. We respond to a, a limited cadre of, 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 of impulses and, and um, of, of, of things that excite us. And we're pretty easy to figure out more times than not on the big issues. Um, and so if, if you see a consistency in our behavior, then being able to report about us, and I'm talking about us as human beings, I'm not talking about black people, I'm just talking about human beings, period, um, and realize that we all operate in patterns. Whether we like it or not, or want to admit it or not, we all operate in patterns. If it, if it is your job to record those patterns and and put stories together based on those patterns that you see and report them back out to other human beings, um, your job can be very interesting. Sometimes mm -hmm. it can be very difficult. Sometimes it can be very simple. But it's very if interesting. You, if, most if, times. if you think people are, are more complicated than they are, you shouldn't be in this business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Brett, yeah. how, how do you you know train young people? <laughs> Uh, to go into, <clears throat> to prepare for uh, this marketplace where they're either working on the, uh, the mainline side with white control media or they're working on the uh, black side with uh, black-owned uh, media. Oh, the first thing I try to do is get them trained to be able to read, write, speak, have, you know, develop their curiosity and their initiative and work on their attitude. Because if I can get, get them to do that, those things, I can work, I can get them to do almost anything because those skills are going to be transferable. I wasn't trained as a journalist. I was trained in, in the public policy program at Duke when Terry Sanford was there. And we were trained in political science, economics, and management sciences. So we were trained analysts, whatever that was. And what I realized is over a period of time, a lot of the people with whom I came up, we, we all did a lot of different things. But our core skill set never really changed. We just got better at it. And that's because we worked on it. And I try to convey that same type of attitude to my students to get them their core, um, their, their, their core assets, their, their, their core skill sets, and have them understand they can transfer those skill sets to other things. And being a journalist is just one of those things because – the other part that's embedded in that core skill set is integrity. And if you have that integrity, when you're doing the research, you look at the analysis. Like right now, we have the Ida B. Wells Society that just came up, that's just got moved to UNC Chapel Hill. The original um, boot camp for that was held on North Carolina Central's campus in the law school. Mm -hmm. And I was a part of that with my, with my department head, uh, Calvin Hall and Nicole Hannah-Jones and Ron Nixon were there because they're the, the, the Ida B. Wells. So I take some of that information, I bring that back to my classroom. I'm on the board for the radio, television, news director, so I'm fighting for my students to have a place at the table represented by me with 22-ish uh, news directors from across North and South Carolina. So I've had, I just had one of my students just um, 
he's, she's now up in Pennsylvania, but she was here for a while. One of my students that just graduated in May, one of, one of our students, she's not my, she's our student. One of our students that graduated in May, uh, one of the news directors in New Bern, in uh, Greenville, I'm sorry, WNCT, uh, hired her. So she's a producer now. So we're having our students get into these places. We have some students that are interns at WTVD, WRAL. We have our students getting into these places. WUNC, I mean, yeah, UNC TV has a training program. I was working with the North Carolina News Lab for a little bit, and uh, WNCU and UNC TV both got grants from the North Carolina News Lab because they understand these news deserts and they want to help train uh, diverse journalists to be ready to go out there and, and cover these news, pla- cover news and issues in places that may be totally under, uh, underrepresented. So I try to work on a macro level in some places and a micro level when I'm in a classroom, but I'll work on, you know, other ways to get out there to make sure that we're, we have a seat at the table. Um, I'll just step down as an NABJ uh, pre- uh, chapter president for Raleigh-Durham. And we had, you know, we go and meet with, you know, news directors and editors and publishers. And now with online, it's a whole different ball game, and it's been a ball, different ball game because everyone is online. You know, if you're broadcast, you're online. You print, you're online. You're, you know, radio, you're online. Everybody's online. So it's the Internet of Things. So we have to understand that component also. And so getting our students ready for those eventualities is the part that has been, has been the big challenge. But, you know, that's what we do, you know. You know, our, our time is kind of uh, running down and uh, really have enjoyed all of this uh, information that uh, you all have uh, provided uh, to us. But just briefly, and I want both of you uh, to kind of take a, uh, just a few seconds as we close out on talking about the challenges for the, uh, for the black press, where we're, where we're talking about the continuation of a uh, black media or we're talking about the uh, promotions of uh, African-Americans uh, in the media. So what are the challenges, just, just quickly, as we kind of uh, wind down uh, this, uh, this discussion? So Pro- probably the top of the list is, is economic. Yes. Uh, black newspapers um, are, have always struggled. Uh, make, it, make no mistake about it, it's, it's rare that we're in the black uh, uh, financially, always struggling, always wondering whether we can pay the bills. Uh, and that, from what I can see, um, is going to continue primarily because the way society is today, um, folks believe they can get black news from anywhere, that they don't necessarily have to uh, uh, buy your newspaper to find out what's happening. That, that's not true, but that's the way people are led to believe that, well, black newspaper, okay, uh, it's only when they get in trouble. <laughs> and they need an institution to stand up for them, then they'll come to a black newspaper. But um, uh, getting the community support to do advertising, to uh, make sure the circulation is, 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 is healthy, those things are important. If we can do that, uh, uh, earn more money, we can hire more students, more interns, uh, uh, more novices as far mm-hmm. as journalists are concerned. To, to maintain coverage. As it stands right now, there are many black newspapers where 
they don't have a reporting staff. They get press releases. Uh, uh, groups in, in the community may, may give them news or what have you. But, but generally speaking, they can't really do the job. So we need our, our economic base to stay strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with the economic part and, and just su- us supporting our the outlets that you say that you think are important. Support them, you know, buy a subscription, um, volunteer, do something to support them. Um, I'm working uh, with a I'm on the board for a, a, it's not a black site. It's called North Carolina Health News. And we're part of something called Table Stakes. It's funded by the Knight Foundation. And there are two African-American platforms um, the Charlotte, uh, Mr. Johnson's company, uh, the Charlotte Post, I believe, and then um, Queen City News, and both of those, they, we're learning how to do to do business better, to be more, um, and it's not just them; it's like thirteen. So, like, in addition to those two platforms, the, there are some other people in there, uh, like the AJC and whatnot. So, um, it's important for us to understand how to grow because the business environment of of of, of media has, is changing on a regular basis and the business environment um, is what's going to help the, the the entities survive and we have to learn how to su- support the institutions in our communities that we want to stay around whether it's the black press or the black banks or a black mechanic we have to support those folks who su- who are part of our community. Other communities do this, and we just have to do it too. All right. Thank you all very much uh, for uh, sharing this uh, with us. We've been talking with uh, Cash Michaels, who is a uh, longtime journalist uh, here in North Carolina who presently uh, reports for a number of different uh, African-American newspapers uh, around uh, the state, and uh, Professor Brett Chambers, who is... uh, in the uh, Department of Mass Communications at North Carolina Central University. Uh, So we want to uh, thank uh, both of you for being with us here uh, this evening. For our audience, we want to thank you for listening to uh, this show and hope that uh, you have uh, picked up some uh, gems of uh, wisdom uh, and that you will provide some support uh, to uh, the uh, black newspapers that are in, uh, in your community. Uh, and that you will also give some support uh, for uh, African-American journalists who are out there in the media uh, at large. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email. You can reach us at LegalEagleReview at nccu.edu. And we are happy to announce that you can now find the show in podcast form wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next week, stay informed and engaged.